everybody and welcome to another episode of the RPG Companion Podcast, the companion podcast to Magic Wazubi. And today we are going to be discussing Strongholds and Followers set up by YouTuber Matt Colville that just came out uh, last month actually. And I've been spending the past couple weeks just diving into the book and reading up on it and I've been loving it. And today's episode is my review of that book. So before we begin, let's get some announcements out of the way. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by LegitMTG.com. LegitMTG.com is the place to buy Magic singles and sealed product if you are a Magic the Gathering player. And if you have any order over $2 or more, they will offer you free shipping on any order. So be sure to check them out at LegitMTG.com. Uh, Magic with Zuby, the RPG Companion Podcast, can be found on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. You can find my YouTube channel if you just search Magic with Zuby on YouTube or RPG Companion on YouTube. And you can also find me at Facebook.com slash Magic with Zuby, on Twitter at Magic with Zuby, on Instagram at Magic underscore with underscore Zuby. And if you want to help the support, if you want to help support the show in any way, you can check out the Patreon at patreon.com slash magic anyways let's get right into it here <clears throat> strongholds and followers is the brainchild of youtuber matt colville matt colville began a kickstarter early in 2018 to help launch this book and with little surprise it surpassed the amount matt needed to fund the book insanely it went above and beyond what matt needed there was a lot of hype for the book when it was announced and finally on december 13th the pdf version of the book came out and i instantly dove in i I will be honest, I completely forgot that the book was even coming out because I remember it was originally slated supposed to come out in the fall, if I remember correctly, last year in 2018. And at least I'll admit, I, it's, I do follow Matt Colville on YouTube, but you know, life happens. You don't always get to check every single YouTube channel that you subscribe to and you sort of forget and you don't keep up with updates. And you know, when it was announced December 13th that the PDF came out, I'm like, oh my gosh. Finally, and I just dove into it. I must have read almost half of it the very first night, and then I had to go back a little bit to sort of understand some of the the concepts and the the stuff that I was reading. For the past couple weeks, I've been reading and rereading sections of the book. During this review, much like my Guildsmaster's Guide to Ravnica review, I will not be diving into complete full spoilers here. I may mention some functions and features here and there, but if you want the complete and full details as to what is described in this book, please go to www.mcdmproductions.com to purchase the book. You can purchase the PDF, or you can purchase the book, or you can purchase the PDF and the book. The book, I think, is slated to be shipped out a little bit later this year, I think in the first or second quarter. To begin with, the book is very well written in an, in an easy to read manner. I swear I almost hear Matt Colville's voice in my head as I read throughout the book. How easy is the content in this book to implement? It really depends on which content you or your GM wants to provide the campaign. All the strongholds listed and described in the book feel strong and unique enough. The follower section feels like a fun addition for your players as well, but is it enough? I would have to say yes, it is enough. Sometimes a bit too much, but that is not necessarily a bad thing. If you as a GM did not want to implement everything listened to this book, that is perfectly fine and Matt Colville even explains that multiple times in the book as well. Maybe you only want to implement the stronghold sections of the book and not the followers or vice versa. As a GM myself, I could see myself crafting whole campaigns just designed around this book. It is a great resource for ideas and also rewards for your players. There are some designs in this book that appear so absurdly powerful 
that gifting one of these players one of these abilities to your players would be one of the ultimate rewards for them but that's part of the fun and the charm of the book you will go through because each especially the sections of the strongholds you get to a part where it's described that each class gets their own kind of unique stronghold right and they get certain abilities for their class as they get a stronghold and some of them just seem ridiculous i mean ridiculous amounts of power where it's some of it does feel very widely unbalanced some classes feel much stronger than others and you know that feels sort of by design right um, so, uh, reading this book has me wishing this was out during one of my longest campaigns I ever DM'd. At one point, my players had to storm a fortress where it was known a warlock was capturing innocents to transform them into hideous poison zombies. Now, this is my Espartia, um, game that I have talked about before in the past. Uh, it's a, my own system that I've been developing. The area where this fortress was at was in a war against the natives of this land it was essentially samurai versus werewolves and something not heard of very often uh, the samurai were desperate to win against the natives the werewolves that they became involved in some dark and evil magic with this warlock the player just wanted to stop the kidnapping of innocent people so thus began the fight to take over the fortress let me now read the expert excerpts of that grand tale of when they captured the fortress Cronus tells Sasaki, a samurai, again of his quest to defeat his old enemy Koloth, and Sasaki brings Tomo, Esta, and Tal with him, and Teresa and the Mir go with him, leaving Pesmerga and Cedric to guard the ship. They all leave Kyro and journey towards Koloth's fortress. On the way, they meet some travelers and one drunken brute named Rokoruta he tries to pick a fight with Sasaki. Sasaki ends up knocking him out and then recruits him to help storm Koloth's fortress. It will take two days to reach Koloth's fortress, and at the end of the first night, they go off to the road and make camp. The Mir and Teresa stay up for first watch, and Edercaps come up to the camp, and the whole crew wake up and fight. One Edercap completely destroys the tent they were sleeping in. Another summons a giant spider, and the spider proceeds to bite Tal and begin to web him. The party dispatches all the Edercaps and Spider and save Tal. The rest of the night, nothing happens. The next day, they come across a fork in the road, one path leading to Doma and the other leading towards Koloth's fortress. Cronus tells them the story of him and Koloth, where Koloth and Cronus were best friends serving in the samurai army from far away. Cronus found Koloth killing Cronus's wife Nerus and his unborn child. Cronus never told them why Koloth did that. The party decides to go down to Koloth's fortress and the path gets rougher. Along the way, they come across a river. When they all cross the river, a tentacle monster pops out and ends up grabbing Rokoruta and drowning him. Tal ends up stealing from Esta and Sasaki Sumoplexes Tal and he passes out. So Tal was my version of a Kender. And most Kender aren't very strong, but this Kender could sort of hulk out if he got really pissed off or he was near death. So he... Like most Kender, he was a kleptomaniac and would, and if you pissed him off or got him near death, he would hulk up. Like he would turn into like a monstrous, abnormal looking Kender that's like, instead of three feet tall, it'll be five feet tall, but extremely muscular. Um, Tomo was also grabbed during the fight and the mirror teleported into the river to save the brute. They all gather themselves back up and go off. It is nightfall when they spot the fortress. Cronus tells them there is an armory with gunpowder there. Sasaki and Tal go in the back of the fortress and gather dry wood to burn on the fortress wall. As they burn the wall, all the archers in the guard towers look towards the burning. Sasaki throws Tal over the wall with a torch in hand and lands on top of the armory. Tal gets off the roof and goes into the armory.
You know, the, these are my DM notes, by the way. The mirror teleports on top of an archer tower and sees an officer come out to check in the station and open the front gate and walk out. The officer gets ambushed by the rest of the party and just outside the gate, the mirror attempts to fight the two archers and ends up dying and falling out of the tower. That was um one of the little memes, I guess, of the group. The mirror would die in almost every single fight because... He was supposed to be a support caster type, but always want to try to get in the fray and fight everybody. Cronus, Tomo, Esta, Rokuruta, and Teresa storm the front gate, and Cronus loudly announces he has come for Koloth's head. The back wall that has been burning from Sasaki is weak enough to create an opening and Sasaki goes through. They all fight and whittle Koloth's 40 men down. Um, yeah, that was a pretty insane fight. I remember that fight took hours to complete. Uh, Teresa dies during the fight and is revived by Esta. Esta also summons Ryujin, which was sort of like a Bahamut-looking dragon, and knocks down a tower. The armory also blows up and Tal appears transformed and starts killing men around him. Cronus and Rokuruka storm into the fortress and fight Koloth and his bodyguard. As the party kills everyone outside, Esta revives the mirror and they all walk inside the fortress and see some dead bodies, but no Koloth or Cronus. The drunken brute Rokuruta is passed out behind Koloth's throne is a stairway to a basement, and Koloth emerges out of it with Cronus's head and flings it aside. The party fights Koloth and the mirror and Teresa go down to the basement. In the basement, there are two dead, undead samurai zombies, and the mirror and Teresa fight them. Right before Koloth dies, he decides to commit seppuku and ends up unleashing a powerful, dreadful energy, nearly killing everyone in the room. After that, they had won the fortress and decided to keep it for themselves. So, yes, that was a sorry about that. That was a little bit long winded, but I just sort of want to describe a little bit of what happened in the campaign there where they stormed this fortress and decided to keep them. And this is where I almost wish where this book was out back then. This had to have been, gosh, seven, eight years ago when I DM this. And um, it was just a lot of fun. And the the things that I did for the fortress, I mean, I drew it out and we tried to figure out how it would work. Right. And try to figure out like, oh, who's going to be there? Like, do you have a blacksmith? Do you have an armory? Do you have, you know, a stable for horses and stuff like that? Well, this book helps you out with this sort of stuff, helps you with those small little mundane details that you may not think of when you have your own fortress or stronghold. Right. So Matt Colville's book describes what can and should be in a stronghold, such as a fortress. Back then, I think I only had a barracks, a blacksmith, a stable, the main building itself. And that's about it. With this book, it could have given me more ideas of what to add and how those would function as well. That's a very key part that I really like about this book. The campaign also had my players meet an abundant of NPCs as well that joined their fortress. The section of followers in the book would have helped ease me as the GM into having to come up with what certain NPCs do in the fortress and their abilities as well. However, that is not to say it does not come without issues. Much like other source books of 5th edition, this book also falls into the same trap of not being laid out very well. I will preface this that I always prefer a physical RPG book compared to a digital. That is much easier for me to flip around pages to look for certain material. It's faster for me. This book in its digital form suffers from having to sometimes flick flip back and forth between pages to look up certain stats or rules, and I find that to be slow and cumbersome. Some sections also feel vague and not very clear, such as how to create your own units and compiling the stats for them. Not that they aren't explained, it just takes a little bit of rereading to try and understand it. Another complaint I have is something I mentioned in my Guilds of 
Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica review that some sections feel fleshed out more than others. For this example, let's use the Strongholds by Class section. The Paladin's Chapel feels and looks more fleshed out and descriptive than, say, the Monk's Monastery. Not that's to say the Monk's Monastery isn't fun or useful, just on the surface it looks as if it, more care was given to the Paladin's Chapel comparatively. For me, my favorite part of the book has to be the Stronghold section. This is the section where I can see myself developing whole campaigns around. There are four types of Strongholds, and while any character class can have any type of Stronghold, some of them wouldn't make sense or fit thematically with that character's class. The four types are a Keep, which is for martial classes, a Tower for spellcasters, a Temple for the Divine and Spiritual classes, and an Establishment for Espionage. You can also create a castle that combines two Two or more of the above strongholds together. I will say this, building or restoring any type of stronghold requires a lot of gold if you follow the rules laid out in this book. Technically a level 4 or 5 character should not be able to afford a stronghold unless the GM wills it so. The upkeep and cost to upgrade can be expensive as well. The amount of days it takes to upgrade said stronghold is very long as well. We're talking you know, 50 to 100 days in game. The best thing about this is as a GM, you control time as you see fit. You don't have to literally go through each day to have your player wait until the keep is upgraded, or maybe they come across enough gold through tithe and taxes as well. As I mentioned earlier, whole campaigns can be devised from just the stronghold section. Not only does the book go into detail as to what type of stronghold each class may have and the features and benefits those strongholds has, but it also goes into what might possibly happen to said stronghold while living there. You'll have followers and some citizens living there with you living in a keep by yourself would get lonely and boring, so you as the ruler of the keep will have day-to-day -day responsibilities. You can also recruit a follower to do all that mundane work for you, but as a GM, I can almost see a SimCity-like campaign happening just after reading through this story, and that's the truth there. I mean, I have been a part of some campaigns where they tried to make a farming town type role-playing game, which was... It sounded interesting on the surface, but it didn't really feel fleshed out well enough. And this kind, in this campaign or this source book here, you could almost make a sort of Sim City like campaign if you wanted to. You know, obviously there would be you know brigands and barbarians and people attacking your stronghold, right? To make it more interesting and not just completely mundane, like oh now we gotta you know tie you know we have to have people taxed now we need to raise the taxes by one percent and we also need to go and check on every single citizen and do a census. Hey, if that's what you're really into, go for it. I mean, uh, some people may find that fun. I mean, it, it it's D and D. It's it's role playing. Do whatever you want. Um, the neighboring kingdom, you know, here are just some ideas here. The neighboring kingdom thinks you are encroaching on their lands and wishes to wage war with you. Or some barbarians from the north attack your farmlands and you must stop them. There are disease spreading around your lands, but it is not natural. It appears to me magic. A portal to the demon underworld has sprung up nearby, and if you don't find a way to shut it, the lands will be covered in demons. Some thieves have sprung up and begin to waylay carts coming to your keep. What will you do to stop them as lord of the keep? And so on and so forth. Grand campaigns could be told from just just this one section. Yeah, you, 
and you don't even have to go to the followers section to get all these ideas. Stick with the strongholds, and it's like, oh my gosh, my mind's blowing up. I can think of so many cool story ideas. Many campaigns I have GM'd have always had the players recruiting some NPCs along the way to help them with a certain quest. Normally, I would write their stats down on an index card, and that's that. And some very basic stats, like hit points, you know, strength, dexterity, constitution, etc., etc. Um... My players would get stronger, but the NPCs wouldn't should they survive. Um, yeah, I would always have the... Excuse me. I would always have the NPCs sort of just stay static, right? But that kind of doesn't make sense. During my longest campaign yet, my play players managed to recruit over 10 plus NPCs and keeping track of all their index cards came to be a hassle. The follower section of the book has a complete guide on how to use NPCs for not just your stronghold, but they could be utilized as secondary PCs for your players or NPCs to be controlled by the GM. Retainers are what could be considered secondary PCs and are light versions of the player classes. Each retainer comes with a basic set of stats, attacks, and spells should they use them. Each class has a minimum of two different types of retainers that can be used. I think my favorite part about the retainers are how easily laid out the different types are. So if my group manages to come across a sword master that wants to join them, I just need to use this book, look up their stats, give them a name and a quick story, and there you go. No longer do I as a GM need to figure out what exactly can a Swordmaster NPC do. This gives me a quick and easy guide. And that is one of the also a really awesome thing about this book is, like I said before, I would have NPCs that I controlled that were part of the party or, you know, sort of they recruited them along the way and I'd have to come up with spells and stats they could do. With this book, I can just look it up, be like, okay, you found a sword master. Okay, you found a wizard. All right, this is the wizard's basic stats. Boom, here you go. Um, they also can level up as well too. There's some certain rules and stipulations and how often they level up. So not all your followers are going to be adventurers. Some of them are going to be artisans such as alchemists, farmers, scribes, etc. This book goes into detail as to what each type of artisan can and will do for you should you have a stronghold. This is a huge plus because as a GM, I may not know exactly what a mason may do in a stronghold, right? Without having to research ahead of time, or I may not know what a scribe is capable of doing for you as well. Each artisan also has the ability to either help you with certain skill checks or help devise some strong and fun magical items as well. Lastly, for the followers section come ambassadors and allies. This section was quite small and with not much detail, I'm left wondering if it was meant to have more, but nonetheless, this section describes what both of these could be. An ambassador from a distant nation that wishes to ally itself with you, and an ally could be a very strong wizard who won't be a retainer, but just an ally that helps you when in need. There is also a short little campaign adventure titled The Siege of Castle Wren, it's a nice addition as well. It is a four-chapter campaign that should not take you longer than two or three sessions to complete. It is a great starting point to get your adventures underway to claiming their own keep and experiencing the warfare system as well. It felt like a very well-done and fun campaign and actually felt better described than some of the official Watsi campaign books for 5th edition. The book also comes with some really cool new monsters and magic items that you can include in your campaigns at your discretion. Some of the monsters described appear to be from a world Matt Colville has developed, but like most things, you can always come up with a reason why a gemstone dragon or the court of Arcadia's Mantis Knights have shown up for your players. Most of the items appear to be meant for your stronghold, but can be used for other purposes as well. All in all, the addition of these monsters and items can make for some great fun in your campaign. 
There is a complaint I found myself saying over and over that some sections just didn't feel fleshed out. Some felt glossed over. There was even a mention of another book, Kingdoms and Warfare, in the works that Strongholds and Followers says this system will be explained more in Kingdoms and Warfare. I understand fully that not everything could fit in a nice one-size-fits-all package, but it leaves you wanting more. That is not to say that the content in this book is currently not good enough or not enough to help supplement your campaign. There is plenty of it in it right now, but certain sections definitely feel left out. Another complaint is, like most other source books, some systems and descriptions feel too spread out. How to create your own unit isn't clear-cut and required myself having to go back and read and reread it over and over again. It's an issue I've had with D&D for a long time that not everything is cut and dry, but having to read and fully understand it can be frustrating. The battle system for units seems simple enough, but slightly cumbersome. It almost feels it could be slightly simplified a bit more. It's not to say that it's extremely hard to understand and grasp it just seems like you're laying on top of an already battle system with your characters and then having to lay another battle system on and it can just be a little bit confusing from there um, if this were a game that was strictly a wartime strategy tabletop game the rules would seem fine but with DD having enough to worry about this is just another layer of rules to remember but like I said earlier, if you are running a campaign and it's just strongholds and very rarely your PC may one-on-one -on -one fight someone, the system is not bad. It could be a lot of fun where you and another player have, you know, your own sort of like little warfare going on with certain, you know, archers and cavalry and stuff like that. To finally conclude, I enjoyed this book, and I'm glad that Matt Colville was able to get this funded. I'm currently eagerly awaiting my physical copy. While not an official supplement book to 5th edition, I feel this is a worthy addition to D&D, and if you have any desire to want to include any kind of strongholds or followers in your campaign, this book is right up your alley. That's the episode, everybody. Thank you very much for listening and watching this episode. Um, as I said before, if you want to help support the show, you can check out the show's Patreon at patreon.com slash magicwithzuby, and you can check out my Magic the Gathering podcast, Magic with Zuby, that comes out every Friday, and you can find me at facebook.com slash magicwithzuby, on Twitter at magicwithzuby, and on Instagram at magic underscore with underscore zuby. Thank you very much for watching and listening, and have a great day.